David took up residence in the fortress of Jerusalem and called it the City of David. He built up the area around it, and David became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. But something vital was missing, the Ark of God, which symbolized the very presence of God. It had previously been captured, but now it was back in Israel. So David set out with his army to bring the Ark up to Jerusalem. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Azar, who was guiding the ark, reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Azar because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Azar. So the ark stayed in the house of Obed-Edom. Three months passed, then David decided to try again. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. But not everyone joined in. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the King of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. But David wouldn't back down, and he said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Michal became bitter and remained barren for the rest of her life. But David was blessed and continued to prosper in all he did. I am a man discovering destiny. I am a father leaving a legacy. I am the king of Israel. I am David. I am David. What a great series uh, we're experiencing together. And I've been experiencing it online as well, a great facility. Just uh, just last weekend, Pastor Dave talking about seasons of the Spirit in David's life, being faithful, seeking God, being expectant. And then uh, the week before that, I know not in all of the campuses, but it's available online, uh, Tom Webster talked about triumphing through the tough times. How many of you were here for that message? Raise your hand if you were here. That's great. And uh, it was a tremendous uh, a tremendous message which uh, you should really access. I must warn you that if you are a supporter of Manchester City, 
the message might cause you some grief and pain. Many abusive comments were made um, during the message about that. It was absolutely brilliant, actually, really, really fantastic. Reconciliation has been achieved. And now, uh, this weekend, we're thinking about the fact that David was wired for worship. Some years ago, I went into our local DVD store in Colorado to, um, to rent uh, a helpful and family-focused edifying DVD for our viewing. And uh, I'm wandering around trying to find something for Kay and I to enjoy. Finally selected a DVD, can't remember what it was now, but then was immediately confused, ladies and gentlemen, because there was a sticker on the DVD which said, be kind, rewind. Now, for younger people here, there used to be this technology called video. This was invented in Victorian times and involved magnetic tape going round and round inside a cassette. And if one wanted to, when you got to the end of the movie, it would be highly appropriate for you to rewind the video for the next renter to enjoy its contents. However, as I'm standing there looking at this sticker, it occurs to me that it is very difficult, indeed impossible, to rewind a DVD. Now, normal people would just let this pass, but I am not normal. And so I thought, I am going to approach the nine-year-old behind the counter and inquire about this sticker. So I, I went up to him and I said, uh, excuse me, pre-adolescent person, could you, could you perhaps advise me about this be kind rewind sticker. I said, it's a DVD. You can't rewind a DVD. He said, I know, I know. He said, we used to be a video store and every week, every week we'd get the new videos in and we'd put the Be Kind Rewind stickers on. And then DVDs were invented. And my boss said, well, we've got a, we've got a lot of stickers left. <laughs> and we don't want to waste them. So let's just continue to weekly put the Be Kind Rewind sticker on. They did what they always did, and so they continued unthinkingly to do what they always did. I think that that can happen to us when it comes to church, when it comes to worship. I spend a lot of my time in Christian meetings. Yesterday, I was in Belfast. I preached... I preached uh, numerous times in the last week, and uh, I listened to myself quite a lot. And I'm aware that it is possible for us to kind of just so get into the habit of church and worship that if we're not careful, we lose sight of the value of worship, and we forget why it is that just as David, as we will see, was wired for worship, why we too are wired for worship also. Throughout the pages of Scripture, Old and New Testament, God's people, that's me and you, we have always been summoned and called to worship and wired for it. 
In Genesis, we see Adam and Eve fellowshipping worshipfully in the garden until a snake in the grass messed that up. And immediately we begin to see the patriarchs, the patriarchs building their altars as they establish worship. In Exodus, the tabernacle is established. The people gather, they center themselves around worship. In Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, a very elaborate sacrificial system is developed in order to give shape to worship for the people of God. And then in established Israel, a temple is built, a, 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 an opportunity for the people of God to gather around it. Often they drifted away, and the prophets come, and they nudge them, and they kick them, and they call them back to that calling of worship before God. The psalmist repeatedly calls us to be a people of worship. Psalm 511, let all who take refuge in the Lord rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Psalm 22 verse 3, God inhabits the praises of his people. Psalm 29 verse 11, give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty or the glory of holiness. Psalm 32 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. All you who are upright in heart, shout for joy. Psalm 47 verse 1, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Psalm 98 verse 4, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. In Psalm 150, one psalm, there are no less than 13 different commands for us to worship. In the Gospels, in the Gospels, we see Jesus prioritizing his father's house, avoiding crowds in order to give himself to the presence of the Father. The early church was born in worship and prayer and praise. So boisterous were they that on the birthday of the church, people thought they were drunk. In the epistles, in Corinthians, we hear about order in worship. In James, we hear about avoiding superficiality in worship. In Ephesians, the great vision of the church calling us to worship. Galatians, the defense of freedom. Colossians, avoiding super spirituality coming into worship. First Peter, we're a royal priesthood called to worship God. Hebrews, we're called into the holy of holies. And the book of Revelation ends with the people of God banqueting with God, celebrating with him. And listen, it's so noisy, it's so exciting, it's so loud that when someone is quiet for half an hour, they actually write it down because it's so unusual. And here, David is bringing the ark of God. What's the ark of God? Some of us are thinking, some of us are thinking Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, and the ark. What, what was this ark? Well, the ark, the ark was a very important symbol to the people of God, representing the presence of God. And the attitude of the people towards the ark reflected their attitude towards God. It contained the tablets of the law. But in Old Testament theological thinking, the presence of the ark was very significant. Because if a king if a king was able to have the ark in their city, that signified God's approval on their reign. And now the ark has been in the presence of God's enemies away from Israel for no less than 100 years. And so now there's this incredible opportunity as David has now established his rule and reign to bring the ark home. And on the first attempt... There are two things that go wrong. 
The first is that David goes to get the ark and they worship with great joy and tragically this involves the use of tambourines. <laughs> this is a great, great malady in the church. And the uncoordinated playing of tambourines has been a curse in the Christian church worldwide for many, many years. There have been occasions in Christian gatherings when I have fantasized about assassinating tambourine players. <laughs> and if you're a tambourine player, may I just say, the Lord bless you. And remember that verse about 30 minutes of silence. Just kidding, just kidding. But more seriously, far, far more seriously, the first attempt ended in disaster. It really went wrong because, first of all, David tries to bring the ark on a new cart. Now, that was not the way the ark should be carried. It was the way the Philistines, earlier, you can read about it in 1 Samuel 6, they had transported the ark when they captured it on a new cart. David is emulating those around him rather than following God's prescriptive orders. Uzzah, or Uzzah reaches out because the oxen stumble. He commits a capital offense by touching the ark. And this is more than God being picky. God is establishing a real sense of his awesome holiness among his people. Walter Brueggemann says that the fear generated by this judgment event was positive because when people are no longer awed or respectful or even fearful of God's holiness, the community is put at risk. But it's a difficult episode, but suddenly, everybody, the party turns into a funeral. It all goes wrong. Three months go by, and David hears about God's blessing on the house of Obed-Edom, and so he decides to try again. And with worship, with worship, they go and get the ark. So why, why are we wired for worship? Why is worship so important and significant? Well, first of all, worship is a declaration of trust. It's a declaration of trust. Look at 2 Samuel 6. David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. You see, worship is an opportunity for us to declare what is true and we don't have to understand everything about life and God and the universe in order to worship. And it may even be that there is some anger, some disappointment, some frustration in our hearts, but we come to worship God anyway. I'm really happy to be able to tell you today that there are times when I worship God from the place of confusion. And I can be real about that. When I first became a Christian in 1837, I felt this, this need to always be happy and, and like victorious and praising the Lord every moment of the day. In fact, in the church of which I was a part as a young Christian, which was a lovely congregation, everybody said praise the Lord and amen a lot. It was one of those churches and they said it all the time, you know, it didn't matter what had happened to you if you'd run out of petrol that week? Well, praise the Lord. What? And I'm embarrassed to tell you that I actually locked myself in my bedroom as a young 17-year-old, brand new Christian, and I practiced how to do it so I could perform well on Sunday mornings. I stood in front of the mirror, 
And what you do is this, you tilt your head slightly to the left. A cosmic faraway, hello, I've been to Jupiter look comes into your eyes. And then you say with a kind of sense of great trembling conviction, praise the Lord. Let's have a go, come on, let's have a go. Before this, this. you tilt your head slightly to the left, to the to the left. It didn't start well, frankly. To the left, okay. Far away, look. Far away, look. Oh, you're very good, Kingsgate. Very good. Far away, look. Far away. Okay, that's good. And then after three, one, two, three. Pray. You've been practicing as well, haven't you? And there was this sense that I had to have where I, 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 had, to, I had to understand. I had to be on top. I, I, I was like one of those cowboys with, with, a, you know, with the, the, the gun in the, in the holster. And I was quick fire with all the answers. The, the question of suffering. Yep, got it. When's Jesus coming back again? Yep, got it. Yep. And I was desperately afraid of this statement. I don't know. I didn't want to say, I don't know. But there are times when we are hemmed in by question marks and we worship anyway. Not as a declaration of what we feel like. Worship is not an expression of emotion, it's a declaration of truth. It's where we say, whatever the circumstances, whatever the weather, I will bless the Lord, what? At all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Even the blessing of God creates questions. Last week in Belfast, a gentleman came up to me. I was there four years ago and I preached on healing. I want to just be ever so honest with you. I don't like praying for the sick. I don't like it personally. I know I'm commanded to do it, but I'm never going to be one of those chaps who floats around praying for sick people because... When I pray for people, they normally get worse. (laughs) My healing ministry is sponsored by the NHS helpline. (laughs) And I can hear some of you going, you're not supposed to say that. Well, it's just true. It's just true. And also, I get worried about people. So when people say that they think they've been healed, I think that's fantastic. But I want to phone them the next day just to check how they're doing. So I can never go from city to city and, you know, take the photographs of people and then move on. And, but I believe God heals. So I preached on healing. And, and I said what I've just said, because I want you to know that what happened to this chap has got nothing to do with me whatsoever. <laughs> nothing. Okay, let's just get that clear. In fact, I've made a deal with God. I've told God that if people ever get healed, when I'm preaching, I'll make it abundantly clear it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> that God did it despite me. God probably said, I know it's Lucas preaching, but let's mess up his day. (laughs) This chap came forward for prayer. At the end, I preached and I just said, look, I said, I don't know what's going to happen. Why don't we just ask? Why don't we ask? And he came forward and uh, he had uh, prostate cancer. And a person from the ministry team came up and prayed for him. And they said, what do you need? He said, I've got a variety of health issues. They prayed. Somebody else came up. Same thing happened. Variety of health issues. He's got his eyes closed. And then he said, a person came up and stood in front of him and said, what do you need? And he said, I've got a variety of health issues. The person said, no, you have one health issue. It's prostate cancer. And commanded that it go. 
And he said, as this person was, was ministering to him, he said, he was wearing a sweater. He said, he sweat so much. He said, suddenly this presence of God came upon him. He said he had to wring his sweater out. It's kind of gross, really. Because he was so sweaty and hot. And he opened his eyes and there was no one there. So I said, what do you think? Do you think they just craftily nipped off? Because I don't want to put words into his mouth that it was the Lord. He said, I believe it was a direct activity of the Holy Spirit. Went to the doctor. The doctor says, you have no prostate cancer. You need no chemotherapy. You need no hormone treatment. He was completely healed. Two nights ago, two nights ago, we, we asked again in Belfast. Next day, lady came up. She said, all my symptoms of multiple sclerosis have gone completely. She said, I've had a full day at work. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to see, I want to say, go see the doctor. Let the doctor declare that you are healed because God is not glorified by hopeful exaggeration. Anybody with me in that? But the point is this, God does amazing things, but even in him doing amazing things, I'm still thinking, what about my friend Chris, who I spoke to this week, who passed away on Thursday? Who was desperately hoping for healing, but was not healed. My point is, the life of faith will never eradicate the questions. Even the blessing of God creates questions. How come that prayer was answered and that one wasn't? But in the midst of the questions, which one day will be diminished when we see Jesus face to face. And sometimes people say, sometimes people say, yeah, let's give the Lord a clap if you want to give the Lord a clap because that's a pretty good thing that we're looking forward to. Sometimes people say, well, I won't get that question answered until I see Jesus. Do you think you will then? Do you think all the angels are going to be singing holy, 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 and then you're going to go, excuse me, could I just um, bring up a particular issue? But we worship in the midst of our questions. It's a declaration of trust. Secondly, worship brings us back to our core identity. Worship brings us back to our core identity. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord. I love this word over here, destiny. I love that word. It's a very, very powerful word. But I want us to see and know this today. David's destiny ultimately was not to be just a king. David's primary destiny was to be a worshipper of God who knew God. Whatever you can do in life, however high you get, however successful you are, in ministry, however much impact you make, it's not about what you do. David functionally was king. It's about who you are. David was a worshiper of the king. Across America, when kids graduate from high school, they're told a lie. They're told if you can dream it, you can do it. Whatever you dream, you can do. It's tosh. Silly. Because just dreaming, it doesn't mean you can do it. Not everyone's going to be famous. Not everyone's going to do that. And even Christians get off on this kick. You know, they say, I can do all things through Christ, which is a biblical quote. But that doesn't mean you can do anything. I can't do anything. I can't speak Japanese, play the bassoon, or give birth to twins. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. 
Certainly not at the same time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I can do anything that God is calling me to do, but there are limitations on my aspirations. But what we can all do is function as worshippers. That's why church matters. That's why getting together with the people of God, standing shoulder to shoulder with God's people and declaring week in, week out. Yeah, I'm going to make it deliberate. Week in, week out, rebooting our hearts and minds and remembering what is true and real. There's been a bit of a trend going around recently to to make the appropriate statement that all of life is worship. That's absolutely true. But there's been a bit of a postscript added to that. I, I know people who have this attitude. It's like, I'm changing the world, I'm bringing justice in, so I don't need to sing songs on a Sunday and read the Bible, and they are completely wrong. It is a pendulum swing, because yes, all of life is worship, or can be, whatsoever things you do, do it all to the glory of God, but that does not dismiss, not just the possibility, but the disruptive demand to gather together with God's people, whether you feel like it or not, whether on a day like this particular day, when I'm preaching here at Kingsgate Peterborough, when an English summer has temporarily arrived, (laughs) and you could be out there, I know, cremating chicken. (laughs) But what do we do? What we do is we do what's important, and we stand together and we say, we, believe. And in a world in which we lived, I'm getting a bit passionate about this, is that okay? In a world in which we live, we're we're surrounded by swirling information where so many people are preoccupied with trivia. Where they're checking Facebook to see if someone has posted a picture of their breakfast. (laughs) Because we're a FOMO culture, someone has said. Fear of missing out. I might just miss that picture of the bacon. (laughs) And we need to be a people who give ourselves to church, to worship, to gathered worship and establish our identity again as we do. Thirdly, thirdly, worship is always expressed in sacrifice and generosity. It's always expressed in sacrifice and generosity. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of God with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. I mean, can you imagine this? Every six steps, just picture this, every six steps as they come into the city, they stop and have a worship time. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop right there. Stop right there. Let's let's have a time of worship now. One, two, three, four, five, six. Not in the opposite direction, but if I carried on going that way, I'd go off into the wings and it wouldn't work. Can you imagine those Hebrew children saying, are we nearly there yet? (laughs) And it's boisterous as well. I mean, David is dancing. I mean, you know, in my younger days, I used to dance in worship. But I stopped believing that my moves were so impeccable that it might be a fleshly and unhelpful distraction. (laughs) 
By the way, when David dances before the Lord, this is not some little charismatic hop. The Hebrew means to separate the limbs. This bloke is going ballistic. This is John Travolta on Duracells. And it's not, it's not British worship. Because they're shouting and, and, and it means to sound the alarm. Can you imagine the British at Jericho? Shout, says Joshua, for the Lord has given you the city. Well, I'm not sure about that. Do you mind most awfully if we just raised our voices slightly? Shouting, it's just not, it's not what we do, is it? Kingsgate, listen to me, please. I want to speak to you not simply as a guest speaker, but as a friend of the house. As the church continues to grow, do not allow spectatorism to become part of your culture. Don't do it. Be a people. Don't just sit on the edges and look around and watch what everybody else does. I do that when I go to American baseball games because I don't know what's going on. So I watch the crowd. I just follow the crowd. When they clap, I clap. When they cheer, I cheer. When they swear, I praise the Lord. Join in and give yourself to this. Robert uh, Heimlin has said, to enjoy the full flavor of life, take big bites. He says, moderation is for monks. I like that. Take big bites in worship. Don't come here for a little crazy nibble. It's a phrase I just made up and one I'll never use again. Give yourself to worship. And by the way, our joy and celebration and laughter is part of our worship. You do know that. I've been in churches where we've had a little bit of fun and laughter and then the leader stands up and they'll say, well, it's been nice to laugh, hasn't it? But now let's enter into the presence of the Lord and the furrowed brow and the sort of mildly constipated look. As if somehow the laughter was disassociated from the worship. Someone has said, Graham Tomlin, in his excellent book, The Provocative Church, has said that we should be like the 12th century legend of Robin Hood and his merry men, celebrating in the forest. Good King Richard is out of town. Bad King John is ruling the people with oppression and sin. But they know that the good king is coming. They know that the rule and reign of evil is but temporary. And so they're laughing and they're eating chicken and they're celebrating and they're robbing the rich to give to the poor. They are a furtive band of laughing heroes secreted in the forest celebrating the rule of the one who will surely come. I want to say in a month where we've seen so much tragedy and we weep with those who weep and we grieve over the headlines. But I want to make this announcement the reign of sin and evil is but temporary and the day is coming when the king will come and every knee every knee will bow and when we worship we're expressing a foreshadowing of that rule and that reign man I'm becoming one of those ranting preachers I'm not sure I like it but anyway by the way, that includes giving. 
That includes giving. He said, I went quiet then. <laughs> so, look, we were, we were happy to sing and have a laugh, but do you have to wreck it? It's not wrecking it. Our giving is part of our worship. And by the way, God doesn't want us to be reluctant givers. He wants what? Cheerful givers. Hilarities is the Greek word. Cheerful givers who joyfully give sacrificially as part of their worship. Worship is always expressed in sacrifice and generosity. Fourthly, worship is sustained by daily discipline. It's sustained by daily discipline. Look at what David says. He says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. His wife, Michael or Michal, daughter of Saul, she's angry. She's an outsider to the party. She criticizes him. Haven't got time to unpack it. She's a very damaged person as a daughter of Saul. Hurt people hurt people. And she spectates on the day of celebration, the day when the ark finally comes home after a century. She misses it. But David won't be put off. He says, I will celebrate. I will celebrate. He's determined. He's determined. I'm going to end with this point, uh, most likely, because time is um, gone. But just a, just a few days ago, Kay and I celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary and we were reflecting back on that that's very nice of you thank you that was a, that applause was for you darling I think thank you. 38 years with that and uh, Kay was 18 minutes late for our wedding 18 minutes but I'm over that Carry on. Um, and uh, we got down the front, the pastor's there, and, and uh, it was here in Peterborough. It was in Peterborough, wasn't it? Yeah, we got married. It was, yeah, it was a memorable day. And, um, and uh, the pastor said uh, to me, he said, will you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for richer before, better for worse, blah, blah, fish cakes? I said, I will. He said, uh, he said to Kay, he said, will you take this <laughs> to be your lawful wedded husband? Let's stay forward, better for worse, blah, blah, blah. She said, um, she said, I don't know, I don't know. I'm not sure. He said, well, I'll give you a minute. So she turned to her dad who was sitting on the front row with her mum, and she said, what do you think? And he said, so I think it'll be all right. He's got a bit of a weird nose and he's going to probably lose his hair, but I think it'll be all right. She says, I don't know. She said to the pastor, she said, what do you think? He said, I don't know. I'm just here to do the business. I don't know. She said, I'll tell you what, we'll take a vote. We'll take a vote. So we took a vote in the congregation and I got in on the third ballot. <laughs> no, I made all that up. Some of you are sitting there going, oh, bless your heart. Oh, how horrible. I made it all up. I said, I will. She said, I will. It was decisive. Why? Because of love. 
And we need to be people who say with David, I will become even more undignified than this. Which I think is slightly the theological equivalent of put this in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> He's basically saying, I will worship. I've got 19 seconds left. 14 now. <laughs> I'd like our uh, musicians to come back if you would. Is that okay? Can we do that? Uh, particularly a keyboard player. In fact, anybody except bagpipes. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be good. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, and just quietly play keyboard for me if you want, that'd be great. Um, two weeks ago at Timberline Church, where I'm one of the teaching pastors, we got to the end of the service and we sang a song about giving God our hearts. And there was a lady, well, let me just say this. I, I, we're singing the song and I suddenly said, I think there are people here who need to become Christians. But here's how you're going to become a Christian today. You're going to sing your way into the kingdom. You're going to worship your way into the kingdom. You're going to sing to Jesus, here's my heart. heart and that will be your way of becoming a Christian. And I said, I think in the next hour or so, someone's going to come up to me and tell me that they've sung their way into the kingdom. At the end of the service, a lady came up to me. She handed me a card. She handed me that card. It's 12.29 and a smiley face. I said, what's that? She said, at 12.29 today, Jeff, I sang my way into the kingdom and gave my life to Jesus. That's why it's got 12.29, smiley face. She said, turn the card over. So I turned the card over. I'm not sure why she wrote next twice, but she put next Saturday, baptism. And she was with 48 other people in an icy Colorado lake last week. This lady who said, I will, sang, I will to Jesus decisively, was baptized. Isn't that great? And I believe, let me just wrap it up in 15 seconds, I believe that that leads to a fruitful life, that last point. There's a mysterious thing that happens when we worship God that ultimately leads to a fruitfulness that we cannot measure. Michael, daughter of Saul, was barren to her, the day of her death. Listen quickly, carefully. There's no suggestion in that, that an inability to have children is because of a lack of worship. Please don't take a scripture and take a specific and turn it into a hurtful generality no suggestion of that but there is a fruitfulness that comes to the people of God when we give ourselves to worship